Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn, turn in your scripture to Matthew chapter 2. That is where we're going today as we begin this series that we've entitled The Gift. In Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we'll just start at verse 1 and work our way all the way down through verse 12 today. And, uh, and then we'll discover what God has to teach, teach us from his word today. So Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, let's read together. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray and ask God to show us what he wants to do this morning from his word. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that we can be here in your presence here as a church to discover the deep riches of Scripture God, and to, to uh, this Christmas season, be able to know you in a deeper and a fuller way. God, thank you for sending your son down to this world to be our high priest, to save us from our sins, and to be the once for all sacrifice. God, would you speak to us now through your word, and God, help us to enjoy this Christmas season, God, together remembering you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, I am glad that uh, you are here today. I wanted to begin with Scripture today because uh, that is the passage that we are going to be spending the next three weeks of our series in. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a little bit of a frog in my throat this morning. Um, So you'll have to help me out. Um, I'm not sick, but there's just something in there. So um, something going on. But uh, but God has laid this passage of Scripture on our heart this Christmas— because of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. And uh, through the next 
two weeks after this, all these three weeks, we are going to be focusing on the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus and discovering symbolically what they represented. Now, um, I'll tell you that I heard a survey this week that was done on gift giving. Who likes to give gifts here? Yeah, we all like to give gifts. Now, can you guess who came out as the top to, who, who came out at the top of the favorite at 70% of who, who people like to give gifts to? I would guess that it would be what? Kids, right? Y'all love giving to kids, right? 70% of people like to give gifts to kids, okay? Now, can you guess who came out at the bottom with only 2%? Dad. <laughs> Now, I just want to, by, by way of show of hands, who's having trouble finding a gift for dad this Christmas? Yeah, okay, yeah. Unless it's a gag gift, those are easy. But hey, um, as, we, as we approach this Christmas season, what, what we realize is it is, uh, is it is a season for gift giving. And uh, I believe that part of it is prompted by the gifts that the wise men, they brought to Jesus that first Christmas and, um, you know, as, as, as we look at this passage, what we're going to be looking at specifically is, is the wise men, also known as the, the Magi. And um, also, by show of hands, who, who has a nativity scene in your house? Who has a nativity scene? Yeah, most of us do. Um, you'll probably notice that um, the youth they decorated for Christmas, and um, let's just give a hand to our youth right now. They... Um, they spent Sunday uh, under the directorship of Kathy decorating our church for Christmas, and they did a fabulous job, didn't they? Um, but one of the things that they put out, and they, they do put out every year, is a nativity scene. And, you know, in the nativity scene, how, how many wise men are there in a the nativity scene? There are three, right? How many wise men were there in the actual Christmas story? There are We don't know. Sorry to set you up on that, but we really don't know. We don't know the details on how many wise men there were. And so as I, as I preach a message like this, I realize that there is actually a few things that are kind of going against me that we have to get through. We have all Christmas traditions. We have a nativity scene that is very incorrect that you'll discover. Um, but also, um, we've got this Christmas carol, We Three Kings of... Orient are, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, we, that's not what the Bible says. It actually says in the Bible that they came to a house. It was probably likely they did not come that Christmas night when Jesus was born. Um, he was probably most likely a toddler at that time. It was, he, he could have been up to a year old, a year or two, because of what we know Herod then commanded later on. If you read the text, he went after all the babies who were two and under, all the baby boys. Um, so, so this happened not that first Christmas night that these wise men came to Jesus, no. And so we have to break through some of these barriers to understand what is going on in the Scripture. And so the first thing that I want to do here with you is I want us, and you can use your bulletin for this, is that I want us to look, first of all, at the men who gave the gift. The men who gave the gift. And before we get into one of the gifts today... Um, we want to just look specifically at the men who gave this gift. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, 
that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men. The Greek word in the text is the word magoi. And it's the, it's the word where we get our, our English equivalent, magi. And uh, just so you know, um, this word is actually impossible to translate into English. And that's why in the text they use this, this word, wise men. Because it kind of explains the function of magi, or the magoi, during that time. You can actually, if you do a study of history, and I encourage you to do this this week, is you can study and find that the magi find their origin all the way back in the Old Testament um, under the time of, of Daniel. Um, Daniel himself was one of the chiefs of the Magi, or the Magoi. And um, in, in the ancient Persian Empire um, that, that he was a part of, what, what we know is that uh, these Magi were very, very influential. Just like Israel had a certain priest tribe that they designated, um, the tribe of Aaron, um, out of their 12 tribes, the, the ancient Persians actually designated one of their tribes as being the priests of that, that tribe as well. And that, that was the, that was the um, Magian tribe. And uh, what you find throughout history is that this Magian tribe was actually very influential. And here's, here's the things that they influenced. They, they were basically spiritual advisors. That, that's what they were known as to nations and to kings. Not just to the Persian kings, but, but to all the kings in that ancient world during that time. Um, if you wanted to know, if a king wanted to know how to move their army, if a king wanted to know how to, um, you know, interpret a dream, if a king wanted to know what country should I invade, they would call upon the Magi. And you'll even notice that the Magi, they studied the stars, didn't they? And, and so they gained spiritual insights to be able to interpret dreams and discern what was going on. And they, they were called upon as spiritual advisors to kings. The other interesting thing is that no Persian could become a king unless they met two conditions. They first of all had to had to master the spiritual practices of the Magi. And second, they had to be crowned and, and affirmed by the Magi. So the Magi weren't kings themselves. What we actually know about the Magi is that they were king makers. They were king makers. These were not Jewish king makers either. No, these were Gentile king makers. And so it shows you the significance as they came to Jesus that night that they were crowning the king of kings. And we'll see that in the gifts that they brought. And so I hope you're getting an idea of, of who these, these magi are at this point. To sum it up, who were these wise men? These wise men were a priestly tribe who were influential over many kingdoms over hundreds of years. They rose to prominence during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. They were influenced by the prophetic writing of Daniel, who himself spoke of a savior. And they were now seeking the one who has been born the king of the Jews. They're coming into Jerusalem and they were seeking God himself. 
And so, as we go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, what we see is that they asked this question. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. These were the men who gave that gift. Now, let's go to number two in your bulletin if you're taking notes. Number two, let's talk about the meaning of the gift. The meaning of the gift. We're going to talk specifically about the meaning of one gift today, but let's, let's first look at the gifts that these wise men gave, first of all. It says in chapter 2, verse 11, we'll skip there. We will do some more explaining in this passage in, in the weeks to come. But it says, in going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These wise men, they, they offered three gifts. Gifts that were actually, we'll see, incredibly practical and useful to Mary and Joseph, but also three gifts that were incredibly symbolic. Symbolic of what Jesus came to do and to be. All scholars will, will actually agree, and I, I agree with them, that um, they foreshadowed what Jesus would represent by these three gifts that were given. And that's what we're here to explore today. They gave, them, they gave Jesus, first of all, gold. Gold. It was valuable in and of itself, but it represents, as we'll see, that Jesus had come as the King of Kings. They gave Jesus frankincense, and we'll talk about that gift today. Frankincense was given as a, a way to represent the priestly nature of Jesus. This was given by priests themselves who, 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 who had been recognized as the spiritual advisors, as go-betweens between God and men, and now these priests were recognizing the high priest, Jesus Christ himself. That's why they gave this gift of frankincense. We'll talk about more of that today. Then they gave him myrrh. Myrrh. We'll talk about that next week. It represented Jesus as the suffering servant, as the Lamb of God who was born to die. He was born as a sacrifice for our sins. And so today, as, as I said, we're going to be talking about frankincense. And um, it represents the priestly nature of Jesus. Now, According to my essential oil advisors, one of whom is here today, um, our newest elder at Valley Church, Doug Dilliman, in solidarity with this message, he put on his essential oil of frankincense. Who else uses frankincense? Anyone else? Yeah, there's a few of you. Okay, you oilies out there. All right, that's awesome. I tried to get into essential oils, and they just smelled too bad that I just was like, no more. No more. Um, but uh, we do know that oils were used in Scripture. In frankincense, it could have been an oil in the form that it was given to Jesus himself. Um, for you oilies, um, you usually use uh, frankincense to heal sicknesses. Um, it can also be used to treat wounds. Um, there's probably more specific instances that it's used, but um, that, is, that is one of its functions as an essential oil. And as the, these, these wise men brought this to Jesus, 
what they were doing was they were symbolizing that Jesus had come to be a high priest. Now, during that time in Israel, the high priest would actually use frankincense um, as they came into the temple to, to offer prayers of repentance for the people. And they would, they would combine this oil with, with the, uh, the spices that they would, would then burn, the incense that they would burn. And as they would burn that, the, the smoke of, of that offering would, would go up to the Lord, representing the prayers of the people to God as it went up to him. And, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as we see, this, this frankincense was then given to Jesus as a gift representing his priestly nature. Now, as we talk about all this priest stuff, you may be kind of wondering, because maybe you didn't grow up Catholic, like what's, what's up with all that? What is a priest? Can I just take a side note to just explain what a priest is? That may be helpful for some of us. A priest is someone who represents people before God. That's, its, that's their role. And, and they, they have two main functions. A priest back then what they did is they would sacrifice offerings for forgiveness on behalf of sinners. They would, they would offer a sacrifice to atone or cover up someone's sin. But then a second function is, is that a priest would, would also offer prayers on behalf of people to God. They would act as an intermediate, uh, a go-between. If you grew up Catholic, you'll, you'll remember that maybe you went to confession and that, that priest then functioned as a go-between between you and God. You confessed your sin to the priest and that priest would then pray for you before, before God. Um, today, as we look at this passage, we are going to actually see that Jesus is our high priest. That we need no other man to come before God to us, that Jesus himself satisfied that. And so I hope, I hope I've pricked your interest in that. But a question comes up at this point, why do, we, why do we need someone to come between us, between us and God? And so, so I just want to quick bring you up to speed about who God is. Because uh, one thing that you need to know about our God is that God is Holy. God is holy. And the fact is, is that we are not. The holiness of God, it, it, it means, means that um, God is separate, that God is without sin. God is morally pure. He's flawless. In him there is no stain. In him there is no impurity. God is holy. But the fact is, is that we are not and so there, there's, there's this conflict between the holiness of God over here and the sinfulness of man over here. You know, some people, they, they don't like to hear this. Uh, they don't like to hear that they're sinners. They, they, they would like to rather think, oh, I, you know, people make mistakes or people mess up. People, you know, do, do things that, you know, aren't agreeable sometimes. And they'll say, you know, I, I'm not a sinner. I'm just, I'm just flawed. And they'll encourage people like, you be you, be yourself, be the truest version of you, which is, which is far from the reality of what God tells us and what we see about the holiness of our, our, of our God. Some people actually believe that, that sin is an outdated term that was invented to make kids obedient. Any of you using Elf on the Shelf this year? 
All right. That, look, yeah, there's a few of you. Okay. You know, you know, who needs sin when you have an elf on the shelf? I'm serious. Okay. Who needs sin when you have an elf on the shelf? Because you got this elf who's watching your kids. They see, he sees everything you do. He's a little naughty himself, right? But he's seeing everything that you do, and he's going to report it back to Santa, who's making his list, and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And, you know, sometimes I, I think that that's our view of God as well. The God is up there. He's this cosmic scorekeeper. He's making his list. He's watching your every move. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out, and he knows who's naughty and who's nice. And so we think sometimes that if our good outweighs our bad, then somehow, somehow we're going to get into heaven. But if our bad outweighs our good, then you know, we're destined for, for hell or punishment or, or bad things are going to happen in our lives. So that's sometimes our view of God. Can I just tell you, that is far from who God is. Very far from who God is, because while he sees and he knows everything, he is holy and we are not. What we know about our God, even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is that he has provided a way for us to be saved. You know, if we don't understand the holiness of of our God, we'll always have a casual approach to sin. And until we understand what it means that God is holy, we'll never realize the cost of our own sin and our own need for a high priest. Can I just tell you, God's holiness is not just one of his attributes. God's holiness is not just one of his attributes. His holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. And so if you think about our God, his power is holy. His grace is holy. His justice is holy. His wrath is holy. His omnipotence is holy. His omniscience, it's holy. All of God is holy. And that, that, that holiness makes him worthy of our praise. And when we look at ourselves and our own sinfulness, what we realize is this. We are not. We are not holy. Romans chapter 3.23, you know this verse that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word sin is an archery term. It means when you're aiming at that target, you let that arrow go, you've missed the mark. You missed the bullseye. And that's what each one of us has done. We've missed the mark of God's holiness. We've fallen short. And here's why God hates sin. God hates sin because it is against his character of holiness. And what sin does to us is it separates us from a holy God. It moves us away in relationship from him. And God created us to be in a relationship with him. He created us. He loves us. He wants a relationship with you and with me. But when we sin, we feel, we feel a need to separate ourselves from God. We, we feel guilty. We feel broken. We feel ashamed. And so we hide. We cover up. We run away. What God did is, is that uh, in his holiness, he had to punish sin. Sin deserves a punishment. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so we have the holiness of God, and we have the sinfulness of man, and we're hopeless, right? Hopeless until we have a substitute. 
Hopeless until we have an intermediary. Hopeless until we have a high priest who can do it. And that's why we need, that's why we need and you need a high priest. And that is Jesus. In the Old Testament, what God did is he pictured for us what Jesus would come and do fully. Okay, can I just tell you what, what would happen back then in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, what would happen is a high priest would come into the, the tabernacle once a year on a day they called the Day of Atonement. And there he would take frankincense that he would burn as in, you know, along with incense and, and that smoke would rise up to God. He would be praying prayers of repentance of the people. He would also take with him a lamb through the veil into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. This was the, the, the Ark that, that had uh, the Ten Commandments that were inside of it. And he would take that lamb, he would take a knife out, he would slit its throat, blood would be going everywhere, and he'd take that blood and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. And that's what he would do. And all this time he'd be praying prayers and asking God to forgive the sins of the people. He would then take another animal, and it was usually a goat that he would take, and he would pray prayers of repentance. He would confess the sins of the people upon this goat. And then he would take this goat and he would send it out of the camp. And he'd kick it out. They'd, they'd drive it out. You know, there's probably people would be, you know, with sticks and with stones, throwing things at this goat, trying to just get it out of the camp. And that goat would run off into the desert somewhere. Sometimes they would even drive it off of a cliff just to make sure it was gone and dead. And what that goat represented was that the sins of the people had been removed from the camp. Now you're probably like thinking, man, that is weird. It is gross. It's disgusting. What in the world kind of God would require anything like that? What kind of God would want anything like that? Can I tell you? I agree with you. I agree with you. It's weird. It's gross, okay? Uh, I, I don't like talking about it. You, you animal lovers, you're probably like, I'm traumatized. I'm never coming to church again, okay? <laughs> but the fact is, is that God did this to show symbolically what he was going to send his son to do perfectly. You remember, this happened once a year. And what Jesus did is that he came and he did it once for all. Once for all. Now, why did he do it? Because God is just. He must, must punish sin. Because God is holy. He must punish sin. Now, guys, I think we agree with him on that. We like justice. We long for justice. As long as it's not us, right? But here's the other thing. Because God is merciful, he extended forgiveness through a substitute. That sacrificial system was all about showing what Jesus was going to come and do perfectly through a substitute. Jesus Christ himself. And so as the wise were offering the gift of frankincense, they were symbolizing that Jesus had come as the high priest to act as the go-between between us and between a holy God once for all. 
Hebrews tells us a little bit about this high priest. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there to Hebrews. We'll start in verse uh, chapter 7. And then we're going to, um, by the end of this message, then also move over to chapter 4. I encourage you, though, um, if you have time, the book of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the high priest many times and will help you, help you really understand this concept of, of such substitutionary atonement. And it says this in Hebrews 7, starting at verse 23. Hebrews 7, verse 23, it says this. The, the former priests were many in number. Yeah, there was a lot of priests back then. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. You know, just, just like we replace elders, you know, every few years, you know, not because they die, but because we have term limits on them. Um, a priest would be in office for, for a lifetime. But what would happen is that they would die. And the younger, younger ones would, you know, replace them. And that, that for hundreds of years was their cycle. There's been many, many, many priests that, that acted as intermediaries between God and man. But it says about Jesus, verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Permanently. Because he continues forever. Our God is eternal. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a joy to know this scripture, isn't it? You may think, oh, that is gone. I don't need to go between between me and God. You do, actually. But it's been satisfied, and that's the reason for Jesus. When we see this manger right here, I, I hope you're thinking, Jesus is my high priest. He's making intercession. He's praying those prayers that the, the Old Testament priests of old would do, but he's, he's, he's praying for me right now. He's always making intercession for me. That's his role. He lives. He lives to make intercession for you. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted among the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you and for me once for all. You know, what Scripture actually tells us about the sacrificial death of Jesus, I'll just read a little bit of the account and you'll see what he did. What Scripture says is about the ninth hour when Jesus is on the cross, he cried out these words, Eli, Eli, lama shabashtani. And this is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's what he was feeling in that moment. And some of the bystanders that says, hearing it, they said, oh, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a stone, filled it with sour wine, and put, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, hey, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his 
Spirit. At that point, Jesus, he died. In verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn. The curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. That's what he did. At the moment of Jesus' death, something happened that tells us that Jesus has now become our once-for-all high priest. What did he do? He tore, tore the curtain. And that curtain was meant to protect us from the holiness and the wrath of God against sin, from God acting out his justice upon us. A priest would go through that curtain. He would offer a sacrifice for sin, remember, once a year on that day of atonement. But now that curtain had been torn in two so that anyone, anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter where they'd been, no matter what sin they had committed, could go into the presence of God, into that holy of holies, and come and commune with God. See, there's, there's three things that, that I want you to know as, as we end today that impact us and what Jesus did for us acting as a high priest, what it does for us that I, that I hope it changes your life. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. It says, number one, what we know is that Jesus, Jesus has offered you cleansing from sin. That's what Jesus has done as a high priest. There is no longer any more sacrifices required. And there, there's a reason why, you know, in this church, you know, we... You know, some people, they call the stage an altar. I'll tell you, there is no need for an altar anymore because we don't have to offer any more sacrifices, any more lambs, any more bulls, any more pigeons to God, okay? This would be a bloody mess if we, if we had to do that. And, and I don't think our attendance would be that great. Can I tell you, Jesus himself has been offered once for all to cleanse you from sin. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember the holiness of, of God and the sinfulness of man? Broken down in Jesus Christ. That we have become one with God. We can enter into the presence of God because of Jesus Christ, our high priest. It has been satisfied once for all. There's no more sin. There's no more shame. You have access to God the Father through Jesus, your high priest, if you come to God through him. Jesus has offered you cleansing from sin. Have you received it? Have you received it by saying, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? I believe in your once-for-all sacrifice. You can do that today. Number two, and I, I hope this speaks to you where you're at. Number two is this. Jesus, he understands you, and he sympathizes with you. This is, this is maybe the most powerful point that you need to bring with you into this Christmas season right now. And I want to show you where in Scripture it, it tells you this, and I want you to Highlight it, put a bookmark in it, read it every day and remind yourself of this. Jesus, Jesus himself, he understands you. He sympathizes with you. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Hebrews 4, just a couple pages back from where you were. It says, since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with all this. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I hope you know Jesus understands what you are going through. If you're going through pain right now, he understands your pain. If you're going through loss right now, he understands that loss. If you're being tempted right now, he understands what it means to be be tempted. Man, if you're dealing with a crazy family right now, he understands what crazy family is. He does. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus' family at one point uh, called a mental hygiene on him. They did. They, they called and said, this guy's crazy. Take him away. That's how, how messed up Jesus' family was. Jesus understands. Think about how much Jesus understands and you'll realize just how much he cares. Think about this. He was born to a teenage mother out of wedlock. He grew up in a small town and so he was, he was known as that, that bastard's child. That's how he was referred to. Think about it. He lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was tempted again and again and again. He experienced the death of a close friend. And we see he wept over it. He was accused of things that he did not do. His friends betrayed him. Worst of all, on that cross, he felt abandoned by God, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, God had not forsaken him, but God had turned his back on him at that moment as he bore the sin of the world upon himself because God is too holy that he cannot look upon sin. Man, if you feel abandoned, if you feel rejected, Jesus understands. He knows you. He gets you. Whatever you feel, he felt. Whatever you hurt, he is hurt. Because you have a great high priest who sympathizes with you. That's number two. Number three is this. It's that Jesus himself has made a way for you to come boldly before God. Jesus has made a way for you to come boldly before God. That next verse in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know that because of what Jesus has done for you as a high priest, you can come to God just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get things figured out. You can come to Jesus just as you are. The mess that you, you have in your life, bring it to him. You know, I, I know for my children, um, what they like to do is they just like to run up and jump in daddy's lap. And that's what our God is for us. You can run to the Father. 
You can fall, fall on your knees. You can jump in his lap. I mean, you can, you can come to him because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It says you can come boldly. The verse says with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace. You can receive mercy. You can find grace to help in time of need. Do you have a need? Come boldly before God. Come boldly before him. And so as, as we close our service, I just want to give us a moment just to, just to bring this home for ourselves. I want you to give, give you a moment just to come boldly yourself before God. Bow your heads. Just close your eyes. If you have a need, you can come boldly before God. You can pray. You can ask Jesus to fix it. Maybe there's someone in your family that, that's got a health need, or maybe you have a health need right now. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can find mercy because he identifies with you. Maybe if you're dealing with temptation right now, you can ask, ask God, God, would you, by your spirit, God, as you promised not to give me a temptation that is too hard to bear, but that you'll give me a way of escape. God, would you give that to me in Jesus Christ? I boldly come and ask you for it. You can come boldly before God. Just bring your needs to him. Bring your needs. Jesus, we thank you. You, are high priest, experienced everything that we do, yet you were without sin. And you made a way for us to be saved. You made a way for us to find cleansing, to find healing, to find hope. And God, I pray that you would just give that to us this Christmas season, to know that you sympathize with us, but God, you didn't just forget us, you didn't just leave us, but you came down to save us. You came to go between us and God once for all. Thank you, Jesus. As you keep on praying today, I realize you may be here and you may be hearing this message for the first time and you may be saying to yourself, I've never known Jesus as my priest. I've never come to faith in Jesus. I always believed maybe in God, but I didn't know about Jesus and what he did for me. If that's you and you, you realize you yourself are a sinner, you are still estranged from God and you need the work of that high priest to come and do his work for you, Scripture says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you'd like to call upon Jesus' name today and you'd like, like a little bit of bit of help with that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer that you can come boldly to God in that way and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand if you'd like to receive Jesus today as your Savior? You know, you can come boldly to God right now at this moment. He's there to forgive. He's there to save. That's why he came. Praise God. If that is in your heart right now, would you just pray with me, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need you as my high priest. I believe that you sacrificed your life once for all for my sin. Thank you for being my substitute. 
thank you for identifying with me. Jesus, I give my life to you. My life is not my own anymore. It is yours. Take my life. Help me to follow you, to know you, to serve you, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.